This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. God is going to break through. God is going to bring an, an incredible outpouring in these, in these days. The issue is it's not whether revival will come. The issue is, will we be ready for when revival comes? Will God, will we, would it, would it impact us? Would it touch us? Would, it, would we, if you like, be in that position to receive us? That's what it's all about. Would you not revive us again? And I want to talk, I think, one of the main conditions that brings revival to people's hearts. And I think that's being thirsty and hungry for God. That is, the, to me, the, the, the ultimate condition, the ultimate heart attitude that causes a person to encounter an outpouring, a, 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 an outpouring of revival. In fact, it's the one condition that brings revival. Being hungry and thirsty for God. So when I talk about being hungry and thirsty, they're intermitted in a sense of, of expressing us to have an intense desire for God. That's really what we're looking at tonight, having, this morning, having an intense desire for God. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 1, which we're kind of begin with, and we're just... I've got kind of lots of different illustrations and stories. I like to talk about hunger. <laughs> Food. Uh, so it fits in very nicely. Anyway, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh, God. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you, Laurie, about that. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know, you, out, you take them for a breakfast. They eat, they eat you under the table, those two guys. Anyway, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. So when I talk about being hungry and thirsty for God, I just say, I I think it's something we need to hear. I need to hear. We all need to kind of develop this, this... this attitude, this spirit of hunger and desire. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about having an intense desire for God. I think the Christian life is not a matter of obligation. I think too many live the Christian life as though the Christian life is some kind of obligation. They do things out of obligation rather than out of desire. The Christian life to be lived in a way it should be lived is not about obligation, about doing things because you feel obliged to do it, but you do because that's a burning desire that's in your heart. It's a burning desire that's in you. Have you ever had, almost, have you, how many have ever had this feeling where you've almost suffocated, where you've lost your breath? How many have ever had that? I've had it a couple of times. I remember the first time I had it was just the middle of the night. Suddenly I woke up, I just, for some reason, I just couldn't get my breath. And that's a horrible feeling when you just can't get your breath. The first time I ever had it was when someone kicked a ball and hit me right in the stomach. And I just lost, I couldn't get my breath. It's a horrible feeling when you can't get your breath. And, and you're desperate to get breath. And almost, this is the picture, where you're desperate for God. There's an intense desire. As you would, as you would absolutely be desperate for breath, it's almost having an intense desire for God. Not necessarily for the things God does, but to have an intense desire for God himself. And Psalm 63, really, 
is David is saying, God, things around me don't satisfy me. And you'll find that the real hunger for God is where you've come to a point in your life where you realize other things don't really satisfy you. Having lots of finance don't satisfy you. Having relationships really, in essence, just don't satisfy you. That career doesn't really fully satisfy you. Almost no matter what you have in life, it doesn't fully satisfy you. And David's saying, really nothing else satisfies me. The only thing that is going to truly satisfy me is experiencing God himself. Nothing is going to truly satisfy me. That's why I feel I'm in a dry and thirsty land. I'm dissatisfied with my life. I believe one of the great signs of revival is when you get dissatisfied. Where nothing in this life really fully satisfies you. No matter what you have, what you've got, how successful your life is, whatever things are are coming into your life, it just doesn't do it. And it still leaves you empty and dissatisfied inside. And I believe candidates for revival are those who've come to a point where nothing satisfies them. And something in them says, God, I've got to have you. I've come to realize in my life that nothing will fully satisfy me but you. Nothing else is going to satisfy the yearnings and the cravings of my heart but you and you alone. Because when a person gets dissatisfied with themselves, they find God. Can you say amen? John Jesus said in John, 30, John 7, verse 38, 39. And the Bible says he cried out on the final day of the feast. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. How many love that? This is talking about experiencing an overflow of God in your life. And he's actually saying... The only thing that will truly satisfy the cravings of your heart is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing else will satisfy you other than that. That's the only thing that will meet the deep cravings of the heart is when you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he cried it out. He was emphasizing that the vitality of being truly satisfied is to live a life of being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You think about this. The river that Jesus talks of, it doesn't begin in a sense with a river. It begins with a thirst. If I want an overflowing life, if I want to be filled to overflowing on a continual daily basis, it begins with a thirst. If I'm not thirsty, then I won't be filled. If I'm not filled, then I won't be thirsty. It begins with a thirst. If I'm truly thirsty, the result will be God will satisfy me by filling me continually with the Holy Spirit. And he says that kind of thirst, that kind of desire will result in a, not just to be filled, but will result in an overflow. Often said, being filled is for you. Having an overflow is for everybody else. And so the goal is not just to be filled, the goal is to be filled to overflowing. But in order to experience that, to encounter that kind of life, you've got to be thirsty. No thirst, no overflow. No overflow, no thirst. 
It begins with a thirst. I think on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 very hungry and very thirsty people. Because if they hadn't been thirsty, if they'd not been hungry, there would, have been a, there would have been no outpouring. Is that right? And the very fact they experienced an incredible outpouring was because in those 10 days, they got so hungry and so desperate for God, God responded by filling them to overflowing. Amen? Amen. I just sometimes, and I've studied and looked at kind of Bible prophecy, and I kind of used, years ago, used to have this idea that God was kind of mechanical. But he said a a day, a time, a purpose, and that's kind of it. I began to realize God is, in a sense, is not mechanical in that way. He's, he's not like a day, a time, a specific thing. Before he actually does anything, he first of all puts a hunger in people's hearts. Daniel, for example, had read the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, he told him that 70 years of captivity in the people will get released. That prophecy, that word burnt in his heart. And he got so hungry for that prophecy to be fulfilled, he sought God with all his heart. He prayed, he fasted, he sought God because he was hungry for that promise to be fulfilled. And because he was hungry, because he sought the face of God, he wasn't something mechanical, he was just thirsty. And out of his thirst, he brought the promise and the fulfillment of God on the earth. Amen? All begins with a thirst. History tells us that you can control people, but once they get hungry, you lose the ability to control them. Because when people are hungry, they get desperate. And I think that one of the greatest spiritual attributes is to be hungry for God. Because when you get desperate, when you get hungry, you'll do whatever it takes. Is that right? A little bit different, but I remember we went to see, a few years ago, we went to see Amy in Australia. And we were kind of in Sydney, and from Sydney, we were going to catch a plane. And I remember going in this car, and no matter what way we turned, we kept ended up on the same bridge, going the wrong way from the airport. One hour, two hours, and we just couldn't get out of Sydney. I got to the point where I was so desperate... I got to the, I actually, I, I said in my mind, right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to leave this car, and I'm just going to get a taxi to the airport. That's what I'm going to do. I just could not stand it anymore. I'm just going to leave this car in the middle of the city. I don't care where I leave it. I don't care what happens. I don't care if they find me. I don't care what happens. I'm just desperate. I've got to get out of Sydney. It was just absolutely overwhelmed with desperation. And I stopped by a taxi driver, and I would have said to him, I was going to say to him, I'll give you £100 if you show me how you get to the airport. That's how desperate I was. As it so happened, he said, just follow me. He did it, and we led there. But it's amazing when you're desperate, what sort of things you'll do. When you're really desperate, nothing holds you back. Nothing will stop you when you really get desperate. Let's kind of apply that spiritually. Every person in the Bible that's seen an amazing move of God, it began with a desperation. I think of blind Bartimaeus. He was desperate to get healed. And the Bible says that he heard that Jesus was passing him by. And he began to cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, don't pass me by. Now the people around him told him to be quiet. Isn't it amazing? But one thing you find about the spiritual religion, they're shocked by hunger. They're shocked by desperation. 
It's almost as this spirit says, let's don't get too enthusiastic. Let's don't get too over the top. And people often try to crush hunger and desperation because almost they're embarrassed by it. It's interesting. I kind of feel those same people who told him to shut up, had they been in some sports event, they'd have been shouting the loudest. Is that right? They'd have been watching some sort of Israeli sort of, I don't know what they played in those days, I don't know, some kick the rock or something, I don't know, but whatever happened, the point was, they'd have been the first ones to told everyone to shut up. But Bartimaeus, you know what he did? He cried even louder. Why? He's desperate. He's desperate. And the Bible says he even took off his garment, his blind man's garment. That garment actually secured his, his position as being able to beg. He threw his garment off and saying, I, know what, I no longer want this lifestyle anymore. I'm desperate to get healed. I think about the lady with the issue of blood. The Bible says she was right in the middle of the crowd. You know what? The very fact she was with people meant she could actually have been stoned because she was unclean. But the Bible says she was in a crowd. And the Bible says she was desperate. She spent all she had on her condition, on all physicians and doctors, and no one could help her. No one could heal her. And she was absolutely desperate. And she was in the crowd. And something in her said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. She was desperate. She was desperate. And Jesus responded, who touched me? Master, they said. All the people around you are pressing in. How can you say, who touched me? He says, somebody touched me with hunger. Somebody touched me with desperation. And the healing anointing has flowed out of me and has touched someone. Because somebody was desperate because somebody was hungry. I think of Zacchaeus. The Bible says he climbed up a tree to see Jesus. Can you imagine that? Climbing up a tree. Guess whose house Jesus went to? He went to the person who was desperate enough to go further than anybody else to climb the tree, and that's the house that Jesus went to. My favorite one, because I think this is desperation, was when the four men climbed on the roof and began to tear the roof off. Can you imagine doing that? I don't think we ever realize these stories are real. Can you imagine being in a house, and you're sitting there, and you're looking and someone's tearing the roof off. How would you respond if someone started to tear the roof off your house so they could lower someone through it? How many would think that's pretty desperate? To tear someone's roof off to get to someone. But here's the common denominator about all of them. They all receive from God. That's the key. Every one of them receive from God because there's something about desperation that always brings an encounter of heaven. God always responds to hunger and thirst and desire. In other words, people who press in, people who are desperate, people who are hungry, will always see a response from heaven. Can you say amen? If you look at your own life right now, how do you know really physically whether you're kind of healthy and well? One of the major things is because you're, you're hunger. Is that right? When you don't, get, when, you know, Angie would say, if, I, if she said, I've got this amazing meal for you, which you, I usually have, and she says, and I start, I don't feel like it tonight. She'd say, there's something wrong with you, you know, man. <laughs> there, you know, doctor, emergency, you know, emergency, what's wrong here? Because it's a sign that something physically is wrong. Dare I say, that if we're not spiritually hungry, 
there's evidence that somewhere in our lives, something somewhere is wrong. When, when really we, we lose that desire and our hunger for God, then something, whatever else we, we, we dress it up as, the issue is there's something wrong. And you know when something's spiritually wrong because you lose your desire, is that right? You don't desire to worship as you used to desire to worship. You don't desire the word. You know, things that you used to desire are no longer there because something has spiritually gone wrong. I think thirst and the hunger are a mark, not of spiritual immaturity, they're a mark of spiritual maturity. It's a mark of really where we are ultimately with God. Psalm 84. I just kind of think this is a staggering, awesome psalm. Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My flesh and my heart cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, the swallow a nest for herself, when she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I love verse 4. Not we're going to touch on it very much, but it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. I love that. But here's the point. David carried a heavenly revelation that the Spirit of God is attracted to the cry of hunger. That's why David is called a man after God's heart. Not because he was perfect. Not because he had everything together in his life, because we know he didn't. But the thing that separated him from everybody else was he had a hunger for God. And God says, because he's got a hunger for me, he's a man after my own heart. And we love that description. And David says, my whole being is thirsty after God. My soul thirsts for God. How does your soul thirst for God? Think about it. Your soul consists of your mind, your emotions, and your will. How does your mind thirst after God? How does your mind thirst after God? Maybe right now you are tired of thoughts that are condemning you. Tired of accusing thoughts. Tired of negative thoughts. And you want a revelation of God's thoughts. You're thirsty to receive what God wants to say to your life personally. You're thirsty to receive a word from God. You're tired of all these negative, dark thoughts. You want to receive a real living word from God. You're thirsty to hear and receive a word from God. Can you say amen? What about your emotions? How do your emotions thirst after God? Maybe you're tired of living with negative emotions. Condemnation. Guilt. Anger. You're just so tired of living out and letting those kind of emotions control your life. You're thirsty for peace. You're thirsty for stability. There's a cry in your heart that says, God, I'm thirsty to really experience joy in my life. I'm tired of being so absolutely miserable, amen? I want a real encounter of joy. I'm thirsty for peace. I'm thirsty for joy. Thirsty to experience those positive emotions in my life. What about your will? Something in the human heart that has a desire to come into something far higher than themselves. 
to have a dream that's greater than your own, to, to have something far higher. And I think there's a desire that says, God, would you bring me into your will? Because I know your will is far higher than mine, amen? And there's a thirst in my heart for your will. So David's saying, I'm thirsty. I'm hungry for God. I don't belong in this wilderness of dryness. I don't belong in this environment of, of a wilderness sort of lifestyle. I don't, deserve, I don't want to live in that environment. I want to live in an environment where there's hunger and thirst for the living God. That's what my heart yearns for. And there's something incredible he says. He says, my heart yearns and longs for the altars of God. That's powerful. The altars of God. Hiya. So I'm longing to receive and come into the altars of God. The altars of the living God. What's an altar? An altar really is a place where you get sorted with God. That's what an altar is. In fact, the word sums it up. Altar, change. I, used to tell, I tell this story sometimes at weddings, which fits in. Where the, where the bride could never remember, some of you may remember this one, where the bride couldn't remember where to stop. And so the vicar said to her, this is what you need to do. We sing a hymn. We sing a hymn. No, so we come to the altar. So you walk down the aisle. Come to the altar and we sing the hymn. And so they could hear, coming down the altar, I, I will alter him. Will, I will alter, alter, I will alter him. You can see, can't you? I'm, I completely forgot that. It sounds better when I do it at weddings, but I, that just came to my mind. I couldn't even try to remember. But that's what an altar is, ultimately, where God alters you. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done that. I don't know why I did that for. And an altar, really, is where you come and say, God, that's where I'm removing earthly things. I'm dealing with those things that alter, that affect my walk with you. And David said, I'm longing to get to that place where I can actually allow God to change me and transform me. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, God, I want to get to a place where you'll deal with all the things that hinder you working in my life. I love the altar. See, there's something about hungering and desiring an altar. Because you're saying, I don't want to stay as I am. I want to be transformed. I want to be different. And the only way I'm going to be transformed is when I come to your altar, oh God. Because that's the place where you're going to transform me. You know one thing about an altar in those days? An altar had four horns. And with those four horns, that's where they would tie the animal ready for slaughter. The Bible says that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Jesus, in a sense, was a living sacrifice. That's why the whipping post didn't kill him, because he was a living sacrifice offered to God. And it's almost sometimes that God... As, as living things that are tied to things that you can't get free from. There's things in life that we're tied to. And even though we want to untie ourselves from it, it's as if we can't untie ourselves from it. We're in a circumstance, and we just can't get out of that circumstance. As much as we'd love to get out of that circumstance, we can't get out of it. But as we're in that circumstance, something's dying in us. Our pride's dying. Our self-reliance is dying. Something's dying in us as we're tied to that circumstance we can't get over. Something dies in us. Sometimes you have a child that you love so much 
for a child that doesn't love you back. And you're tied to that. And the amazing thing, because you're tied to that, is the incredible thing. It teaches you to pray like you've never prayed before. You're in a heartbreaking situation that you're tied to. Can't seem to get free from it. You're tied to it. But in the midst of that, God is stripping and dealing with something in your life. You've got a boss who treats your life tough. Seems to promote others more than you. But in the midst of that thing you're tied to, you're dying. You're dying to so much inside. You're dying to self-reliance. You're learning humility along the way. Maybe you're tied to somebody that's treating you badly. Speaking bad to your life. Real hard relationship. But you're tied to that relationship. And you can't seem to get free from it. But in the midst of it, God's teaching you how to forgive. And there's certain things in life that we're tied to, that God allows us to be tied to, that we can't get free from. But in the midst of that, God's causing something to die in us. Because when we begin to die to those things, what happens? You start getting hungry. You start getting desperate. In your situation, you, got, you get more. How many could say that often through those hard, difficult times, you got more desperate in those times than any other time in your life? Can you see that? And sometimes that kind of happens. David says, I long for the altars. I just long for the altars of God because that's where I'm going to change. I long for those times when I encounter God and certain things die in me because that's when I'm going to meet God and I'm going to get desperate for God in the most incredible way. Let me give you kind of one last verse a little bit. Matthew 5, verse 6. God, I long for your altars. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word blessed there means happy. Anyone be happy? Satisfied. In other words, a person who's truly satisfied is a person who has a hunger and thirst. Those are the people who are truly satisfied. Because hunger and thirst are the most powerful human desires. People do crazy things when they're hungry and they are thirsty. I want you to think about this. If you're not hungry, then you won't eat. And there are certain negative things that happen to our lives when we don't get hungry. It's true physically, but we're going to connect it how it affects us spiritually. See, when you don't eat, first thing, and we all think this is a kind of nice thing, really, but your body weight declines. You get thinner and thinner. Body weight declines. You know what the word glory means? It means weightiness. When you lose your hunger and thirst for God, you know what happens? You lose your awareness of his presence. That sense, that awareness of God's presence begins to diminish from your life. You get spiritually thinner and thinner, and your desire and your awareness of his presence begins to decrease in your life. Second thing is, your muscles start to break down. When you're not eating, you lose energy. You get tired. When you lose your hunger for God, you get spiritually apathetic. There's no enthusiasm. There's no zeal. Hunger actually creates the zeal and enthusiasm. But when there's no spiritual hunger there, there's no enthusiasm and there's no zeal. Do you know it also affects your skin? 
When you lose your hunger and you don't eat, you become spiritually thin-skinned. What do I mean by that? You are easily offended. The slightest thing offends you. You fly off the handle for the slightest thing because you've lost your spiritual hunger. The other thing that happens when people get to a point of where they're not eating and they, and they lose the hunger, it causes you to lose your ability to reproduce. Often people who are in a place of starvation become impotent. Starving women can have miscarriages. And even if they have the baby, it creates birth defects. When you lose your spiritual hunger, you lose your ability to be moved for people without Christ. You no longer have any concern or any affections for those who don't know Christ. When you lose your spiritual hunger and don't eat, your, your temperature drops. You become cold. When you lose your spiritual hunger, you become cold and you lose your passion for God. Your immune system begins to break down. When you lose your hunger for God, you find you can't resist the values and the pull of the world. You can't resist temptation. I think it was Oscar Wilde who said, the only thing I can't resist is temptation. And often, when we lose our hunger for God, we're far more prone not to resist the things of this world. We're far more prone to give way to temptation because we've lost our hunger and our thirst for God. You lose your ability to think. That's the other thing. You can't think properly. You, you, can't, you can't focus on anything. You just, your mind can't think on anything. When you lose your spiritual hunger, you lose your vision and your destiny and your purpose. And you become controlled by carnal thinking. You're more focused on the things of this world than heavenly things. Heavenly things you don't think about very much. You're more focused in your thinking and your time and everything else than the things of this world, than God. You don't think on heavenly things. Your thinking is so much focused on this world and the things of this world and the values of this world. You no longer think on the heavenly things of God. Set your mind on things that are above. Wouldn't that change our lives? Isn't that right? Our lives will be revolutionized just by putting that verse into practice. What happens when we don't drink? When we don't drink, we dehydrate. You know what the amazing thing is? A lot of people are dehydrated without even knowing they're dehydrated. You say, I have 10 cups of tea a day. But you know what? That still doesn't, that will still cause you not to be dehydrated. In fact, it will actually increase your dehydration, incidentally. That's why water is the best thing you can have for dehydration. Here's the point. When you don't drink, when you, don't, when you lose your ability to have thirst, you lose salt. The Bible says you are the salt of the earth. When you lose your thirst for God, you lose your ability to influence. You're no longer an influencer, but rather you're going to be influenced the other way. But when you're thirsty for God, you become an influencer. When you, when you get dehydrated... You have a, a fever. Your body warms. Here's what happens. We lose our thirst for God. We have wrong passions. We get more excited about sports and hobbies and pleasures 
than we do about God. We give our time and our resources to those things. When you become dehydrated, you become dizzy. You lose your ability to have, to become, to have spiritual judgment. When you lose, when you become dehydrated and you lose your thirst, you can't cry, you can, <laughs> but you just tears won't come. When you lose your thirst for God, you lose your ability to be moved by God. Nothing seems to move you anymore. Nothing touches your heart. You become almost immune. You become inside. You become numb inside. There's a numbness there. You don't feel anything anymore. You don't feel God. You don't feel compassion. There's a numbness inside your heart. Oh, but when you get thirsty for God, suddenly the affections of God begin to rule and rise up in your heart. If you don't drink water, it affects your kidneys. Your kidneys is what cleans out your system. When you lose your hunger and your thirst for God, you no longer really are seeking to live a holy life. The things of this world just get a hold of you and your standards kind of drop. Your whole life begins to, you find yourself doing things you never even thought you'd do anymore. But there's the truth. You're no longer thirsty and hungry for the things of God. How many say, I need hunger and thirst for God? How many don't want those, how many don't want those conditions in their life? The answer is to hunger and thirst for God. Let me close by this. How then do we develop a culture of hunger for God? Because there's a the point. Nobody, it's not a gift. You know, nobody's born with like some people are more hungry than others. It's not a gift. I believe every single person in this room this morning can be hungry for God. It's not available just for certain other than certain, you know, for some and not. Every single person in this room this morning can develop a hunger thirst for God. Here's the first thing. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a desire. This is the most dangerous prayer you can ever pray in life. Lord, make me desperate. That's the most dangerous prayer ever to pray. Yet it's the greatest prayer you can pray. Lord, make me desperate. See, God knows how to make you hungry. Here's the second thing. Give your attention to God. This is what I found. Desire follows what you give your attention to. Sorry, ladies, can I, can I use one illustration about this? I'd like to talk about shopping, but I don't, you know, I have to use men's illustrations, sorry, but... Years ago, I used to be an avid supporter, and you're going to like this guy, of Birmingham City. You know, I believe I had a season ticket. I knew every single player in that team. I knew where they played. I knew all the players. I knew everything about Birmingham that there was to know. I used to go every week. I'd even go to away games. I traveled all over the country watching Birmingham. Honestly, I did. To all the amazing, all over the country, I went to watch them. And I, I knew everything about them. And, I, you know, everything was just, my desire was, and my affections was for that. You know what, as time went on, I stopped watching them so much. Didn't really m read much about them. I couldn't even tell you now who the players were. I couldn't even tell you anything much about them. So I don't really, it doesn't really, my attention isn't really focused on it anymore. And there's a good reason for that, actually. But, <laughs> but here's the point. Your affections follow your Desire, or what you put your attention on. 
what I give my time to, what I give my attention to, what I give my, my resources to, ultimately is what I will be hungry for. You see, if I'm filling my life with other things other than God, and I give God just a small amount of my attention, just a small amount of my time, just a small amount of my resources and everything else, then I'm not really giving God that much attention. And if I'm not giving that God much attention, then I'm not going to have much hunger for him. So whatever I set my attention or my affections on, whatever I give my time and my resources to, that is what I'm going to be most hungry for in life. It's just the way it happens. And that can be good things. They might not necessarily be bad things. They might be good things. Nothing wrong in those things. But sometimes those things have the ability to capture your affections and your hearts and your time and your resources. And slowly your hunger for God begins to decrease because you're giving your time and attention to other things. Attention means that will be where your desire lies. Jesus says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. That's where your time will go. That's where your affections will go. That's where everything about your life will go. What you give your attention to. So we want hunger for God. You know what we want to do? Let's give him our attention. Amen. Let's give him the time and the affections of our heart. Here's the next thing, very quickly. Obey the revelation that God gives to you. I think every new act of obedience will bring a new move of God. When you maybe do something difficult... And you obey God in a certain way, even though it's amazing that that stirs up hunger in you. See, if I start to witness, it's not going to happen. I'm going to have a hunger to witness. If I have a, a hunger to, to do kind, if I do kind acts for people and loving acts for people, I begin to have a hunger to do that. So whatever I obey in life will be whatever I hunger for. So I learn to really obey the things of God, what God has said to me as he's spoken to my life, and I put that into action, it stirs up a hunger in me, amen? Reading the Word stirs up hunger. Reading testimonies of other passionate people about God stirs up your passion and hunger for God. Just been read about the Chinese Christians. And to be honest with you, when I read their commitment, I felt embarrassed. I felt humiliated about my own commitment when I read the commitment of some of those Chinese Christians. They would walk three or four hours to a meeting. They would do the most incredible things because they were so hungry for God. They would sit in meetings six, seven, eight hours in boiling temperatures because they were so hungry for God. And when I read their life, something in my heart says, God, compared to them, where am I? I think those things stir your heart. Just reading about the Azusa Street Revival. That happened because one man got hungry for God. I read it, and, I, and I'm not saying we, we do this, because, but he prayed for five hours a day for three and a half years. Three and a half years, of five and a half hours he prayed every day. And he had a full-time demanding job, and he still prayed for five hours a day. And he still didn't really see what his heart desired. And God said to him, pray more. And he prayed for nine hours a day for one year. That was the man who birthed, if you like, that through him the Azusa Street was, was brought about, which touched the whole world. But it had to be somebody who was desperately hungry for God. And I'm, I'm challenged when I read those kind of lives. It stirs me, it challenges me, it stirs in me a hunger. When I read Moses and these amazing men in the Bible, it puts a hunger in me, it says, God, I want to be something like them. 
So we've got to read things that stir our, our hunger in us. Here's the next thing. Use your difficulties. I think problems, challenges, will, can allow us to press into God the created desperation in us that gives us greater hunger for God. So what I'm saying this morning, that your challenges that you're facing right now, instead of causing you to turn from God, let them cause you to run into God. Let them cause you to press into God even more. They create a hunger in you. God, it's a tough, hard time, but I'm going to press into you. And you'll find, I found some of the, the people who've had the most hunger for God are sometimes the ones who've had the greatest problems and the greatest pressures and the greatest challenges because they've allowed it to cause them to press into God. And it's made them have amazing breakthroughs in life. Can you say amen? And once they have that, they just, once you taste it, you just want so much more of it. Let me just say this lastly. Never feel you've gone as far as you can. There's always more, amen? No matter where you, I don't care if you've raised 100 people from the dead, there's still more. You know, I'm just, I just think of the Apostle Paul. He, he, he went up to the third heaven, saw things he couldn't even describe or tell anyone. He, he saw thousands of people come to Christ. He founded 100 churches. He, he saw miracle after miracle, and yet he said this. He said this, oh, that I would know him and the power of his resurrection. He says, I'm running. I haven't yet made it. I'm not yet at that place yet, but I'm running the race. I'm pressing in. I'm pressing up to the upward call of God. I'm still hungry for God. Isn't that amazing? So no matter where you are, there's more. I love that prayer, more, Lord, more. Because there is. But the moment we lose that desire for more, we become comfortable we become almost stale so we've got to continue keep pressing in keep going for it keep running the race keep pressing in no matter how much or how many experience we have no matter how far we are in god there's more and we never lose that yearning and desire say god no matter how great my experience is there's still more amen there's still more god is an inexhaustible god there's still more let's just come before him right now Hallelujah. I pray, if I, could give, if I could give one gift to any of us, in a sense it would be to have a hunger for God. I think everything comes from that. Without that, we can never really be all that God called us to be. We need a hunger. I wonder this why we hunger for the altars of God. To be changed, transformed, changed. Different, radical. Cutting edge. God will meet you at the place of your desire. Say W. Tozer said that we may not be filled as we, as, we, as we wish we were, but we're filled as much as we want to be. And so today, say, God, give me a thirst. Stir up my thirst. Stir up my hunger for you. Give me a hunger, God. Make me desperate for you. Oh, when you do that, you're going to see amazing, awesome things. Which comes from a hunger for God. Why don't you right now just reach out to him and say, God, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm dissatisfied where I'm at right now. I'm desperate. 
God, I want you. I don't even want so much what you do, but I want you. I want your presence. I'm yearning for you, God. I'm in a dry and thirsty land. I'm, I'm dissatisfied. Even empty in my heart today. God, I just come to you today. Just open your heart right now. I just think so. Just reach out to the Lord right now where you are. I tell you, let's stand right now. Just, just reach out to the Lord where you are. Just reach out to him. Just let a God cry rise from your heart. Say, God, I want you today. I'm so sick and tired of the things of this world. God, I want you. I'm thirsty, hungry, desirous for you. Just reach out to him right now. Thirst will always draw God. Will always draw his spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just be hungry for him. If you've lost it, then say, stir up that hunger in me, God. Stir it up. I've lost my hunger. I've lost my thirst for you. Stir it up again in me. Stir it up, revival fire. Stir up that hunger. Stir up that thirst. Let me come to the altars of God today and be changed and transformed. I don't want to stay as I am. I want you, God. I want you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. If any man is thirsty, said Jesus, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If there's no rivers of living water, then that means we're not thirsting. That's true. If you want to just come to the altars today, we're not going to pray, but if you just want to come to these altars as as signs, I say, God, I want more of you today. I'm kneeling at the altars of God. I'm coming before your altars. I want more of you. I'm thirsty. Coming to an altar is not a sign that something's wrong. It's actually a sign that something's right. That's you, Ms. Nine. Just come to the altars right now. Thank you for listening to this free download from Lachlan Healing Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website, thelachlanhealing.co.uk.